You can be seated this morning. You can be seated. For those of you who may have come in late, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. I'm really glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for being here on such a beautiful day and not being out there, because I know that temptation entered your mind. It entered mine, I got to tell you. I mean, you know, really, this is a beautiful day. It's a Chamber of Commerce day, Charlie, isn't it? So anyway, uh, I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings. That's all the way back in the Old Testament. Kind of go to Psalms right there about in the middle and work your way back. We are going to be in 2 Kings. Believe it or not, for the, for the second time in two weeks, we're going to be in 2 Kings. And some of you who may be a, le- a little less familiar with uh, the Bible um, may wonder what 2 Kings is all about. It's a, one of the books of, of history uh, telling us the history of God's people the Jewish people. And it's really interesting that we are in 2 Kings two times in back-to-back weeks. I I told the first service, I think that would be about the same odds as the Jacksonville Jaguars winning the Super Bowl. So anyway, that we would be in the same book in 2 Kings two weeks in a row. But we are. It wasn't my plan. This was God's plan as we walk through these different characters of God's Word, learning what it means for us to be change agents. And we're going to be taking a look at a fantastic change agent this morning. Before I dive in, um, for those of you who may be new or maybe this is your first time, uh, we have an interesting thing going on here at Hilton Head Island Community Church right now, and that is is we have first through fifth grade in the building with us. And so if you're in first through fifth grade, let me see your hands this morning. They were kind of quiet in the first uh, service. Let me see your hands all around the building. And parents, you can let them get up and go back. There's a table right under that exit sign, and there's uh, just a little kind of uh, study sheet for them that goes along with today's message. They can color and that kind of thing. Don't get mad at them today, okay? All right, it's all good. So anyway, uh, so my kids are back there too, and so um, I'm just excited. This has been a nice time. We're doing the renovation over there. It's going to be done in a few weeks, and by the way, it is going great. I want to thank all of you who have participated. We got painting going on this week, and uh, our kids' ministry, our Island Kids and Ignite Space, is going to be fantastic here in a few weeks when it's all done. And uh, so it's, uh, it's an exciting time in the life of our church. Uh, if you have your devices, you can always download the app, and you can follow along in the notes either through the app or you can follow along in the notes that you were given today when you walked in. Let me begin this morning by asking you if in your life you have ever uttered words and wish you could have them back. I heard one guy go, oh gosh. Have you ever said something and you wish in that moment that you hadn't said it? You wish you could have that time back. Anyone in here with me? I'm raising hands. In fact, I'm going to raise both of them. Chris Sanders, one of our elders in the first service, went like this with both hands. I'm like, all right, we got an elder that did that. That's awesome. Thanks, Chris, for being honest. So anyway, how many of you in your life, raise your hands again and keep them up. How many of you have ever said something that you regret in your life? All right. If, if, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. It, by the way, if your hand's not raised right now, I really do want to talk to you after the service. Because <laughs> I need you to lead a seminar. <laughs> anyway, okay, okay, you can put them down now. How many of you have said something in the last year that you regret, that you wish you could have that moment in time back? Any of you? Okay, great, awesome, very good, very good. Got a lot of impulsive people. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you have said in, in, something in the last month that you regret? Raise your hands. Okay, we're getting real honest here, getting real honest right here. All right, all right. How about in the last week? Have you said something that you regret? You wish you could have that moment in time back in the last week? Raise your hands. <laughs> How about on the way to church this morning? <laughs> the most spiritual time in a family's life is Sunday morning on the way to church, isn't it? Like, 
Isn't that great? You have Bible study. Everything's all perfect. No fighting, no arguing. Everybody's getting along. Can't wait to get to church, right? Wrong. Completely wrong, man. We are impulsive people, aren't we? We say things and we wish we could have it back. I mean, there are so many times in my life I'm like, why did I have to utter those words? The brain and the mouth were not going together. Am I right? I mean, it just happens from time to time, doesn't it? Sometimes that alignment between what we're thinking and what we're saying isn't quite there. And we've had series before. We did a series called Yada Yada or Blah 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 a few years ago that talked about the words we say and how they can impact people. Isn't that true? We can impact people positively or we can impact people negatively. But I want to tell you something this morning. With that in mind, I believe that we have another problem in the church sometimes. You see, I think we do have the problem of our head and our mouths not aligning, not getting into sync there, and sometimes what we're thinking just comes out in that moment in time. But I've got to tell you, I also think in the church we have another problem, and that is, is that our hearts and our mouths are often not in alignment with each other. And sometimes there's a moment in time where we should say something and we stay silent. Man, don't you hate that? Like the times you, you, you should say something, you stay silent. And those times that you really should just keep your mouth shut, you just utter those words, and then they're out there, and then all the damage is done. I wish we could reverse that somehow and understand that. Because what I want to tell you this morning is that being a change agent for Christ requires us to have our hearts sometimes aligned with our mouths. And it means that we as people, as Christ followers, need to know when to say the right thing that will help someone move forward in their faith walk. And so often my concern is is that we as his people, we as the, the bride of Christ, as he says, we the church, just keep quiet when we should say something to help that people or those people further their journey with Jesus. Today, we're going to look at a change agent that's very obscure as we continue in this series called Change Agents. We're going to look at uh, this character in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 5. I don't think I ever mentioned the chapter we were in, 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to look at this particular character in God's word that's very obscure, in a kind of obscure story, kind of in an obscure time and in an obscure place. It's a very interesting story, but we're going to learn from this change agent how we can be people who say the right thing at the right time. A few weeks ago, we began this whole series with talking about how Jesus asks us, tells us, those of us who are Christ followers, to be salt and light. And salt and light have this unusual characteristic of changing their environment, right? Salt has the power to heal. It has the power to preserve. It takes what's bitter and makes it better. There's a little pastoral phrase for you. Anyway, and then light, what does light do? It causes us to see something that's hidden in the dark, right? It causes us to uh, be able to uh, illuminate what's in front of us when we're in the dark. And so Jesus asks us to do the same thing and change our environment. And that was week one. And then we began talking about a few of these change agents. And I want to just give you a little background. If you haven't been with us, I want to encourage you to go to our website or app, and you can listen in from these last few weeks. We began with a little boy who was the lunch boy in the miracle that Jesus performed. 
when there were people gathered, 5,000 men were gathered, which means that there were probably 10,000 or more people. And it was lunchtime. It was an important time for food in the Jewish culture. And they needed food because uh, Jesus was speaking to them. And, um, you know, when pastors go on and on and on and on, you know, you need some food. And so this little lunch boy was kind of hidden in the background. And Jesus used his lunch to perform this miracle of feeding the 10,000. And he was confident in Jesus. That made him a change agent. He was willing to help. That made him a change agent. He showed his faith in the Savior, and that made him a change agent. The next week, we talked about a poor widow that Jesus watched come into the temple and give everything that she had to his work. She gave two coins, two copper coins, and she put them in the offering plate, and she gave everything that she had. She left there with nothing in terms of possessions. And from her... She's a change agent. From her, we can learn that we can be a change agent by trusting God with giving a portion of what God has given to us back to his work and trusting him with the rest. We can become a change agent in his kingdom in that regard. Last week, we talked about an eight-year-old king. Yes, there was an eight-year-old king in the history of the Jewish people in Judah, and his name was Josiah. Josiah, the young king, who grew up to be the last godly and good king of Judah, the one nation that made up the Hebrew people during that particular period of time. And we learn from his life that even when we are tempted to do that which is bad or evil, that when we do the thing that's good, we become change agents. And he changed his world. He changed his nation. He brought them back to God himself as a very young king. And so kind of one of the points that we're drawing in this particular series is it doesn't matter how young you are, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how short you are or tall you are or how weak you are or how strong you are, God can use you, each one of you who call yourselves Christ followers, to be a change agent in your world. And my encouragement, my challenge for you in week one was to be looking for areas of your life or people in your life or groups of people in your life that you can have a positive impact on in terms of their spiritual condition. We as Christ followers have the opportunity and even the responsibility to help people further themselves in terms of their walk with God. And so today we come to our fourth change agent. We find this one kind of tucked away into this uh, story that takes place in the Jewish people. And let me give you just a little bit of context. This is about 800 years. This story we're going to read takes place about 800 years prior to the time of Jesus coming on the scene. So you've got all the way back in the beginning with uh, you've got all the way back in the beginning with uh, uh, Adam and Eve, and then uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then God's people, the Jewish people, are moving along nicely. They are taken into Egypt. Actually, they moved into Egypt on their own as 75 people, and 470 years later, they emerged as two and a half million people in captivity. God takes them out of that slavery, out of that captivity, into their promised land. And sometime, at some point in time, they wanted a monarchy. They wanted a king to be the leader of their nation. And so God answers their prayer, and they get this king, and his name is Saul, and he's an evil king. And then David takes over. A lot of you may know the story about David and Saul. And then David has a son. His name is Solomon. And things are looking pretty good when all of a sudden, during Solomon's reign, this nation, God's people, split into two. 
And, and you have Israel in the southern kingdom, uh, or excuse me, Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah in the southern kingdom, and they become essentially two separate nations. Still God's people, all of them, but they become two nations. And in the history of the southern kingdom, Judah, there are among the, the 20 uh, or so kings, there are only a few really good and godly kings. And if that's not bad enough, we talked about that last week with Josiah and how he changed that culture. He changed the environment that was going on there. If that's not bad enough, in Israel, the northern kingdom, out of 19 kings, none of them are good and godly kings. And so the whole culture of that time is this. There's been a movement from trusting in the one true God to trusting in other things like idols and other gods, small g gods, not the one true God. And largely the Jewish people of that day and culture were desperate because they had a lot of enemies that were uh, invading their lands and they had a lot of people that were causing war and they, they were uh, pressed in on a lot of sides. And they, as uh, largely, in large, were not seeking out the one true God. And so we come to our story today with that context in mind, and there's a general we're going to take a look at in a moment that's a very important military leader in one of the nations that has waged war on Israel. And we'll pick it up and we'll read 2 Kings chapter 5. Take a look at verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, the words will be on the screen here today, and I'm reading from the New English Standard Version. Here we go. Verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Nahum. I mean, Naaman, I already gave him the wrong name. I made him a prophet there. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. And he was high, in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now let's stop there for a moment. Those of you who uh, may be historians, you know that Syria was one of Israel's enemies. Israel's God's people. Syria was blessed by God. How can that be? Well, they were because they had a lot of victories. And the writer of 2 Kings here is drawing that point out because he wants you to understand, he wants us to understand that even though that may be the case and we may not like that, even though evil sometimes win, wins, God is still in control. Isn't that great? It's a great little lesson tucked in there. Okay, so he had given the victory to Syria. He was a mighty man, this man Naaman, was a mighty man, a man of valor, but he was a leper. It's not leaper, by the way. It's leper, okay? So he was a leper. So you have this great and mighty man, this general in the army of Syria, and this guy has everything going for him. He's well-known. He's a great military commander. He's a general. He's probably wealthy beyond belief for that day and that time. He has everything that the world has to offer at his fingertips. There's one problem with this guy. He has an awful, grotesque disease called leprosy. As my son might say, ew, gross. Because lepers in that day and age were afflicted with a disease that caused all kinds of damage internally and externally. It was a disease, it was a neurological disease, it was an upper respiratory disease, but it was also a skin disease. And it caused severe deformities in the ones who contracted it. 
so much so that as time went on and more and more people had leprosy and contracted leprosy, uh, the, the people that were ruling in that day would take the lepers and move them out of the cities where the disease couldn't spread, and they put them into little cities, and they were called leper colonies, right? You probably, some of you may have heard of leper colonies. They were ostracized. They were, in, they, were, they were marginalized by society, and they were put kind of out to pasture, if you will. And most of them ended up dying in those communities. And so this man has everything at his fingertips, except he has this horrible disease called leprosy. Verse 2. I promise you we're going to speed things up here, okay? Now, the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. That basically means that she was a servant, okay, to Naaman's wife, this very powerful man. Verse 3, this little girl said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Now, let me just tell you that in Scripture we only see Two, different, two or three different occasions where lepers are healed. This is one of them. Leprosy was a disease that had no cure in this day and age. Like if you got leprosy, that was kind of the end of your life as you know it. It was a horrific disease. And this little girl opens her mouth and basically says, if the general would go visit the prophet of God in Samaria, he'll be healed. Wow. Amazing. We'll come back to that in a minute. So Naaman, verse 4, So Naaman went in, and he told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. I love that verse, because it's like, hey, listen. This little girl told my wife that if I go visit this crazy prophet, that I'll be healed. And you know what? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I'm going to go anyway. Desperate people do that, don't they? They'll take any opportunity, even if it comes from someone who doesn't seem to have any ability or any confidence or any reason to give good advice. And so Naaman, in this situation, listens to the girl, and he goes to Syria. Verse five, or uh, Second half of verse 5. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. This was a long journey, and he was preparing very well for this journey. He knew he was probably going to be gone a very long time. And in his mind, he probably thought, I'm going to be there for a while because they're going to have to, this this prophet of God is going to have to bring me back to good health. Now, skip down to verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. This was the man of God, Elisha. This was a prophet. There's Elijah and Elisha. They were both prophets of the uh, the nation of Israel. They were uh, God's spokesman to God's people. And here this general shows up at Elisha's house and is knocking on the door. And he, as a great man with a lot of power and a lot of wealth, is expecting to be served immediately. I'm not a man of great power or great wealth. But I like to be served immediately, don't you? Like, I don't like to wait for things to come my way. My family can back me up on that. So anyway, so Nathan came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. (laughs) That was a no-no. You don't send a messenger to a rich, powerful guy, do you? That's not a good, good move there, Elisha. He said, go and wash. The servant came to this man, Naaman, and said, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. 
Verse 11, but Naaman was angry and he went away saying, behold, I thought that he surely would come out. You could probably insert the word himself there. Out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, uh, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Instant fix. That's what we want for our problems most of the time, right? We want an instant fix. We don't want to wait upon God for a fix. Thought he'd wave his hand all over the, uh, over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? That was basically this general saying, my country and my rivers are as good as the Jordan River. Why is this Jordan River the one that, you know, will, will heal me? I don't understand this. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. He didn't get his way. He was pouting like a two-year-old, this grown man, this great general. But his servants came near and said to him, my father... It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Essentially, his servants come to him and say, listen, Naaman, this guy is telling you what to do. Why don't you just do it? Don't give them a hard time. Just listen to what they're saying and do what, these, what this man is saying, this man of God is saying. Verse 14, so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was, what does that word say? Restored, restored like the flesh of a what? Little child. And he was, what's that last word there? Clean. Do you get the picture of what's going on here? This little girl, this little servant girl that's in essentially captivity to Naaman and his wife speaks up and offers the solution to his physical problem when in that day and age, there was no solution to that particular physical problem. Wow. It's huge. It's huge. Here's this general, and he was clean. He was restored to full health. Completely physically cured. She had the cure. But I want you to pay attention to verse 15, because this is the pivotal verse. This is it right here. This is the tipping point. Then he returned to the man of God, this general, this great and mighty general, returned to Elisha. He and all of his company, there were a lot of people gathered around, and he came and stood before him. Look at the words he said. And he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And so this great general that doubted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, because a little girl spoke up, he was not only healed physically, but he was healed spiritually. Are you with me this morning? Do you see what's going on here? It's an incredible story. And our change agent, our hero this morning, is not Elisha. It's certainly not Naaman. It's, it's not Naaman's wife or maybe another servant. Our change agent, I want you to listen to this first through fifth graders, is what? A little servant girl. The most unlikely person in this whole scenario. And there's so much that we can learn from her of what it means to be a change agent. Look at your notes this morning. Take a look at your notes Naaman's servant was a change agent, first of all and foremost, because she demonstrated her simple yet confident faith 
in the one true God. She demonstrated her simple yet confident faith in the one true God. She, see, she already had a foundation of belief and faith in God that propelled her to be able to speak truth to this man who was a great man. She had the confidence to speak up about the one true God because her feet were firmly planted in his. Those of you who are here today and you call yourselves Christ followers, whether you've been a Christ follower for a week or maybe decades of your life, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are passionate about helping others pursue their faith and further their faith, if you're shaky, if, if you're not confident in your own faith, it's not that God can't use you. He can use you because he's God. But it's that people will see right through that lack of confidence in God. She was so confident that she spoke up when she really didn't even have the right to speak up. That's how confident this little servant girl was. We need to be challenged on that, don't we, Christians? We need to be challenged on that, Christ followers. We need to be challenged on that, Hilton Head Island Community Church, to make sure that our feet are firmly planted in God's word. And maybe you've been out of church for a long time and you're just kind of like getting back into things here. I want to encourage you to, to get involved in a life group. Get involved in studying God's word on your own every day because that will put you in a position to be able to confidently help other people pursue their, pursue their faith journey. Naaman's servant was a change agent because she demonstrated her simple yet confident faith in the one true God. Do you have a confident faith that God sent Jesus to help us have a resolution for the sins that keep us from God? Are you confident on that? Because if you're not, people will see right through it. They'll see the house of cards that your faith is. I believe that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's nothing that can take that away. But we sure do get in a place in our lives sometimes where we allow that to become shaky ground. First and foremost, we got to be confident in ourselves. Secondly, Naaman's servant was a change agent because she didn't let her difficult personal situation hinder her hope in the one true God. Oh, my goodness. She had every excuse in the world to just keep her mouth shut, didn't she? She had every excuse in the world to think, man, my heart and my mouth didn't line up. You know why? Because he could strike me dead in a moment. Because all I am is a little servant girl. I'm enslaved in this man's home. I don't need to speak up. I just need to keep silent. I don't know about you, but that really challenges me. Because my own personal circumstances pale in comparison to her difficult personal circumstances, don't they? Our personal difficult circumstances from, from being able to share or push people or, or help people in their faith journey pales in comparison to hers. But we use every excuse in the world, don't we? Well, we're going to be made fun of. We're going to be marginalized if we speak up about God. Boy, in this society, that may be true. But she had the opportunity to much more so be marginalized and made fun of. I can't do that. My family history, all this stuff that's gone on in my family, I can't possibly speak up about my faith. I can't possibly speak out about what God's done. Wow. Our situation's pale in comparison to hers. And she 
did not let her difficult personal circumstances keep her from sharing about the one true God. And thirdly, Naaman's servant was a change agent because she knew the right moment to point Naaman to the one true God. She knew in that moment that he was at the point of desperation. I'll bet if you think hard, those of you who are Christ followers in here, you know someone who's at the point of hopelessness, don't you? Like their life has been turned upside down. I want you to hear this this morning. You, you may be the only person. You may be the only person that is bold enough to speak up to that person who has lost all. You may be the only one that can help them in their spiritual journey. And if you're a student, I want to talk to the students for a moment. Or if you're a child who's in here today, you're in IK, Island Kids normally, or, or maybe Ignite, or maybe our student room, I want to talk to you. God can use you just as much, if not more, than he can use us adults. Am I right, moms and dads? Am I right, grown-ups and adults? You guys can have a huge impact in your world. And so Naaman's servant was a change agent because she knew the right moment to speak up about the one true God. What if she hadn't done it? What if she had failed at her mission? Or what if her, her mission had been changed or she didn't take that mission? What's her alternate mission? If this little servant girl had kept the truth to herself and not shared her faith, Naaman would have missed that miraculous physical healing. But that's not all, is it? It's not just about the physical healing. It's about the spiritual healing that happened in his life as well. Verse 15, that's it. He recognized that the God of Israel was the one true God. You see, when you see leprosy in the Bible, whether it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament, leprosy is a picture of humanity. Leprosy is a picture of the condition that we all are in in terms of our relationship with God. Because of sin, that keeps us from God. We are in a position where spiritually we have no hope. And you see, just like Jesus, when he performed physical miracles, it often led to a spiritual miracle in people's lives. This little girl was a change agent for that as well. That's the way, that's the alternate mission. But here's the mission protocol. Here's what we can take from her story. You see, being a change agent requires us to develop the boldness and the courage to say the things that glorify God and encourage another person's belief in God. Boldness is the key here. She was bold beyond belief. Now, here's what I want to tell you this morning. Each one of you who are here today, and you call yourselves Christ followers, you have the answer to people's eternal, desperate situation. Each one of you has the answer if you're a Christ follower. Because you can give the answer for eternal death to those friends who are hopeless and don't know Jesus as their Savior. I remember when Cynthia and I first had Sydney. Um, she is now eight, and uh, uh, she is now, gosh, almost 11, 10. And Sean is eight. <laughs> don't tell her I messed her age up. She'll be really mad at me. I found out you can mess a kid's age up if you go forward but not backwards. Isn't that true? I mean, man, I just really blew that. <laughs> She's almost 11, and Sean's uh, 8, just turned 8 this past week. And I remember when we were new parents, and we had to take Sydney, our first child, to the doctor for the first time to get her shots. Parents, you remember that? 
Like you bring this child in, and they're all happy. They're smiling. This little baby, this little infant. And they're smiling from ear to ear. You know, they're, they're just kind of you know, happy-go-lucky. Obviously, this is after the first few days. You know, they've learned to interact and look at you. And you take them in for that, like, six-month or three-month, or I can't remember what it is now. But you take them in to get their first vaccination against all of these diseases that are in our world, right? And what happens to that child? They go from this to, ah, am I right? A lot higher pitch than that, of course. But they scream at the top of their lungs when they get that vaccine in their hip or their hind end. <laughs> but we know that that contains the protection from disease. Listen, you and I who are Christ followers, we have the answer. We just have to speak up like this little servant girl. We have to speak up. There's someone very close to our family and our lives who's going through a very physically hard time. And I wish so much that I could, they don't know what's wrong with her physically. I wish so much that I had the answer for her because she means everything to me and my family. But there are times when my passion for someone's physical condition supersedes my passion for their spiritual condition. And church, that's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. We can't miss the opportunity to speak into someone's life, and that's our assignment today. Make the most of every moment in your life to boldly point helpless people to God. Make the most of every moment in your life to help point people who are hopeless to God. God sent Jesus in this world. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a great man. God sent his son to die on a cross on purpose so that you and I and our friends could have eternal life one day in heaven with God. He was the substitute for our sins. And it doesn't matter if you're a first grader in here or if you're in your 40-somethings like me, or whether you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s, each one of us have the opportunity to help point people to God. I don't want to miss the opportunity anymore. I want to be a part of a church that doesn't miss the opportunity. It's why it's so important to invite our friends to be a part of church. It's why it's so important for us to speak boldly to our friends about God. We don't have to have all the answers, but we can help them move forward in their faith walk. Let's not miss the opportunity to do that, church. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this wonderful story, this little servant girl, a child who not only rescued someone physically, but they helped lead him to a point of faith in the one true God. In a time and in a place where that was uncommon, kind of like today. And Father God, I pray for the courage and the boldness among your people here on Hilton Head Island to be bold in our faith. We don't have to be marginalized. We don't have to be thought of as, as weird or crazy or, or embarrassed to simply share what you have done for us. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the discernment and the wisdom to know what the right time is with our friends, our family, our co-workers. Each one of us has the opportunity to do that, and I pray that you would lead us 
and guide us, that our hearts would connect to our mouths, and that we would be the best representatives for you on this earth. For those of you who are here today and you walked in these doors, and um, maybe a lot of what we've sung about or a lot of what I've talked about this morning doesn't make sense to you because you've never put your faith in Jesus. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you and invite you to make Jesus your Savior. That's the good news of God. Is, is that in our sin and in our failures and in those times we mess up, he, cast, he, he doesn't cast judgment on us. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to be our Savior. And all you have to do, the Bible says, is to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll have eternity in heaven. And so if you're here today and you've never put your faith in him, I want to invite you to say this prayer in your heart in an authentic way to God. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to this earth. And right here today, I admit that I mess up. I'm a sinner. I have failures and faults. And I give those to you. And I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, just with every head bowed and every eye closed today, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise I won't embarrass you. If you prayed that prayer, awesome. Awesome. A few hands around the place. Awesome. Okay, I want you to look up at me. If you raised your hand, I'm really excited for you. It's awesome. Awesome. The bottom of that folder that you got today, there's a place for you to tell us of your decision. I'm going to ask you to fill that out. Take it back to guest services and give it to them. They want to give you a Bible. It'll help you to be anchored in your new faith. Father, thank you so much for what you've done in this place today. You're a mighty God. You're the God of salvation, and we are so thankful for that. Help us to be bold in our faith walk. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.